The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse... 16. If you don't have a Bible or an app with you, we will have the verses on the screens. If you don't have a Bible at all, we buy them by the case and keep them here because we like giving Bibles away. So if you need a Bible, let somebody at the Connection Kiosk know after the service. They may just be sitting out there. Feel free to take one. We've got lots. We want everyone to have a Bible. Amen. Okay. I'm going to turn to the scriptures too. So we are continuing in our series today. It's called Fruit of the Spirit, where we are studying the nine divine attributes Those who have turned from sin to trust in Jesus are called to walk in. These characteristics, they act like a mirror. As we look at them, we can see if the reflection of our own lives lines up with what is described here. Now, when we invariably see ourselves falling short of perfection in all these fruit, instead of despair, we turn to prayer and asking Jesus to help us walk them out by the power of his Spirit. So far in this series, we have studied love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. So that means this week we're going to be exploring the spiritual fruit of faithfulness. So let's dive into God's Word, and we'll see what He has for us tonight. Amen. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, and here we go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Praise God for his word. So like I said, we're here in uh, Galatians 5 talking about faithfulness. So what is faithfulness from a biblical perspective? The simplest way to understand this word is to say It means being full of faith. Specifically, faithfulness has with it a connotation of confidence in the truth about God, humanity, our origins, and our destiny. Faithfulness, like the rest of the fruit of the Spirit, is not just a confident belief, but an allegiance that leads to action. Someone who is walking in the fruit of faithfulness will have a stable, single-minded fidelity to the gospel and all of God's word, and will then live their lives accordingly. So again, we've said with all of these fruit of the Spirit, when you go into the Greek, you look at the words, none of them have a connotation of leaving it just at the level of belief or idealism. They all push further into an action that flows out of what you believe. Faithfulness is no exception. The strength behind the word faithfulness means that it must be applied carefully. We could think ourselves to be faithful to a job or a boss, But that boss could, in theory, possibly ask you to cover something up or act without integrity. And so your faithfulness to them must necessarily have a limit. We can be faithful to spouses, but they may try to sway us 
could happen, to disregard God's truth in some way. And in this case, our greatest allegiance must rest with the Lord. We can be faithful to our country, as so many veterans have been, which we're thankful for today. But governments can stray from obedience to God, as evidenced throughout the scriptures and throughout history. And so our, faithful, our faithfulness to them cannot be absolute. Even ideas, so we talked about bosses and spouses and governments, but even ideas and faithfulness to them have a potential pitfall. There's a movie called Terminator, and in that movie, the artificial intelligence called Skynet was faithful to the idea of making the world a better place. The problem came in when it decided humans were the problem with the world. Now, since I just clearly outed myself as an 80s baby, um, for all of you born in the 90s and the 2000s, uh, just think of the ideology of Thanos and the Avengers and you'll understand what I'm getting at. It's the same deal, okay? Basically, uh, ideas and, and extreme faithfulness to ideas can also be problematic. We were made for unflinching and total allegiance. That is part of what it means to worship something. But it is only safe for us to give our full faithfulness to one thing. And it's not an ideology, it's not a government, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be committed and even faithful in a lesser sense to bosses and spouses or governments, but the fullest expression of faithfulness where we place our trust and belief and live our lives accordingly is only safe when laid at the feet of King Jesus. So after giving that caution, then let's explore what does faithfulness look like. Tonight I want to look at it with you from two main angles. What does it look like for each of us to be faithful? And then what does it look like for the church collectively to be faithful? Jesus taught a parable that shows us what it looks like for each of us to be faithful from God's perspective, which, by the way, is the only one that matters. So I'm going to read you uh, a portion here of Matthew 25. This is the parable of the talents. It's a bit on the long side, uh, but it describes in a very helpful way how God sees this question of faithfulness. So uh, I'm in verse 14. It says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master... You entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, 
reaping where you do not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered him and said to him, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. It's pretty heavy duty, isn't it? But before I say anything else here or unpack that, can we just stop and think for a second about the phrase, well done good and faithful servant. There will come a day when you will stand before Jesus and either hear this phrase or something else. Forget heaven and hell and eternity and gold streets and and rewards for a minute and crowns and all that. I'm not talking about that right now. I want to know what happens in your heart just to imagine Being in the presence of Jesus and him saying these words to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Some of you sit and daydream about what it would be like to win the lottery or be married or not be married or to have kids or not have kids, but friends, I would encourage you to sit and let your mind wander from time to time to that great and glorious day where you will stand before the radiant and unmatched majesty of Jesus Christ and imagine him. Let your mind wander to him declaring over you, well done, good and faithful servant. And then try to live every minute of your life in anxious anticipation of that moment. Amen. God help us. What do we see in this passage, in this parable about faithfulness? Okay? Jesus teaches here clearly that he, use, he views faithfulness through the lens of stewardship. This is really helpful if we'll shift our thinking to match up to our masters on this idea. Stewardship is kind of an old word, but it basically refers to taking care of something you were entrusted with that belongs to somebody else. Okay, that's what stewardship means. And faithfulness, friends, clearly is a stewardship issue. Everything in our life is a stewardship issue from God's perspective. This parable, it uses talents, that was a form of currency, to illustrate the point, but it's really fitting, actually, that this money was called talents because Hopefully it it helps us to bypass thinking that this is just about stewarding financial resources well. That's not what it's about only. We are called to steward every single thing in our lives, including our words and the breath in our lungs. All things have been entrusted to us and all things belong to the Lord. Our bodies, they belong to the Lord. Our souls, they belong to the Lord. Every good thing in your life, the Bible says, those are a gift from God the Lord. All of them have been entrusted to you, but they do not belong to you. This is sometimes a hard idea to grasp when you have grown up in a Western individual context that doesn't really like the idea of uh, 
what's mine is not mine. But this is the way the Bible teaches that God sees it. Faithfulness in many ways comes down to an acknowledgement that we are not our own. Nothing we currently hold is our own. And we should be thinking every day about the fact that our master is going to return and want to know what we did with the time, talents, and treasure that he entrusted to us. The parable seems to be teaching that plodding along, doing a whole lot of nothing with what God has given us is not what faithful people do who truly love and serve their master. Faithfulness means believing the truth about who God is and who we are and truly living in light of that truth. Now, every single person who is listening and has any shred of self-awareness should be cut to the quick at this point. Because there is none of us who come even close to perfection when it comes to stewarding well every breath and every moment in our lives. If that is true, I think it is, we don't want to disregard that conviction. We want to repent and ask for God's help. You'll have a time to do that because we're going to take communion in a few minutes when this sermon is over. And that's a great time to do that, to respond to that conviction, to realize that when it comes to stewarding breath, words, life, thoughts, everything that God has entrusted to me, I fall far short of perfection. It's a place for repentance and a place to ask for God's help to do better. But as we grapple with the the reality of our imperfection when it comes to faithfulness and stewardship, I want to also flip the coin over and give us some truth that will help keep us out of condemnation. Uh, Because that's what The enemy always wants to do is take conviction, which is a good thing from the Lord, turn it into condemnation, which discourages and actually pushes us farther away from responding in a healthy or helpful manner to what God is doing in us and with us. And so uh, I want to acknowledge that sometimes it's hard for us to determine if we are multiplying and stewarding well what God has entrusted to us. Uh, Another word for describing that is fruitfulness. That's a Bible word for it. And the question is, we need to ask, but it's sometimes hard to assess ourselves, is are we a good tree producing good fruit? What kind of response would we get if our master showed up today wanting to settle accounts and understand and know what we've done with what we've been entrusted with? Now, we have said that all through this series that these nine fruit are fruit of the Spirit, and they are not things we will ever accomplish on our own, and we want to keep that in mind. And actually, hopefully what this series has done to some degree is push you back to a place of understanding your daily, minute-by-minute reliance upon Jesus and the power of his Spirit. That's been part of what we've hoped for. We will not ever be faithful without the help of the Spirit, much less fruitful. However, there is encouragement for those who are seeking, praying, and working to be faithful to Jesus but they feel like they're not seeing much fruit for their labor, or maybe they're just not sure uh, what it looks like for them right now. I want to encourage those of you that really care about this, but you're not sure how to assess. This is 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7. Paul's talking about the ministry of the gospel. He's talking about planting churches and all that's happened as a result of the gospel being preached in the ancient world. Here's what he says. I planted, Apollos watered, 
but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. What does that mean, friends? That means that in your relationships and at your job, in evangelism, wherever and whatever we could be looking at, Jesus has asked us to be faithful, and he will take care of the fruitfulness. What does that mean practically? That means tired parents, give yourself a break. Keep being faithful to love your kids Teach them about Jesus. Repent when you fall short. But the fruit of them growing into faithful Christ followers is not on you. That's on Jesus. Folks here that may be navigating the space of desiring marriage but not yet being married, keep serving Jesus. Keep loving people. Look for every opportunity to use your freedom to further God's kingdom and relax. Because the fruit of a godly spouse in marriage is ultimately not on you. Married people who desperately desire a healthy and gospel-centered marriage, keep being faithful to those things you know you're called to do. Walk in love and pray till it hurts, but also try to relax. Because the fruit of a beautiful and godly marriage is not on you. It lays squarely on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus, and he's the only one that can handle the burden anyways. Amen. I am not saying we have no responsibility in these things. We just need to understand our responsibility is faithfulness, and fruitfulness is up to God. One thing to remember is that God has promised there will always be fruitfulness where there is faithfulness. The fruit may look different than you thought, and not be on your schedule, but it will be there. That is looking at this through the lens of individual faithfulness. What does faithfulness look like as the church collectively? Well, it looks like a few different things. 2 Corinthians 5 calls us ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 12 calls us the body of Christ. Second Timothy says we are soldiers for Christ. And Galatians 6 calls us the family or the household of faith. Faithfulness as the church looks like walking out all of the things we just mentioned. And much could be said about all of them, but I want to zero in on one aspect for the sake of time. And so let me read this to you from Ephesians 4. This is verses 10 through 12. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Who's that talking about, Love City? Okay, let's try it again. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Who do you think that might be? There you go. I mean, the kids in, the, in, in kids' discipleship get that. 95% of the time you ask them a question, they say Jesus because they know that's the answer 95% of the time. So come on, guys. This is not... That hard, all right? Amen. Okay. 
That's talking about Jesus. Jesus gave, verse 11, Jesus gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Guys, this is how the Bible describes the job of shepherds and leaders in his church. And everything we do here is to this end. Let me read it to you again. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. We could do a lot of things to be cooler. We could do a lot of things to try to attract more people to our services. But would depending on those things be faithful? That's the question. Churches need to ask this. I think along the way, to some degree, we may have stopped asking this question. And it's led us into error in a lot of different ways. Is trying to get people to a service to hear the gospel and be discipled, is that what Ephesians 4 says we're supposed to do? Let's do everything we can. Let's, do, let's have flash marketing. Let's have super fly services that are the exact amount of time that people like. You don't want to go too long, right? Is, is, that what, is that what it seems like Ephesians 4 is calling the church to? Is that what we're supposed to do? People may hear that Love City exists, and they may come, but that is a runner-up to what we are really hoping for. What we are really hoping for is that if folks come into the doors of Love City Church, what we're hoping for, our prayer, our growth model, if you want to call it that, is that you have gone from here and you have answered the call given to every Christian to go into the world and make disciples, that you are out in the world living and being the light of the world that you are called to be. And when you are being the light of the world, that because of that you are bumping into people that are living in the darkness that comes with not knowing Jesus, and that you are then speaking up when given the opportunity, sharing the gospel with people, leading them to Christ, beginning to disciple them yourselves, and then you're bringing them here for fellowship and for growing and for equipping for the work of the ministry. That is best case scenario. The best case scenario is if somebody walks through these doors, it's because somebody else has taught them about Jesus and is teaching them about Jesus and has led them in a process of discipleship. We are supposed to be equipping you for the work of the ministry, not figure out a way to make it comfortable for you so that you can just come here as well and consume religious goods and services while we do all the work and we make everything programmed down to a T so that nobody has to think or nobody has to really participate. They can just jump into the grist mill and run on through. That's not what the Bible calls the church to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example to highlight a principle, and, and, and hopefully this will help us be wise and discerning regarding these things. Here, I'm going to give you two now. I just thought of another one. Here, here, <laughs> here's the reality. Um, there, I don't know if you're aware of this. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of, there's podcasts and books. There's all kinds of um, advice out there for people that are leading churches or want to plant churches or what, whatever, right? There's, there's, a, there's a whole business behind that, uh, advising people, helping people to have success in planting and building churches. And, and, and most of the common advice of the day would say, what I'm doing right now is dead wrong. Right now, I'm making a huge mistake, and here's why. 
Because today is a child dedication day. So here's, here's the math that, that most of these, these people that think this way, here's what they would run through. So we've probably got family today here, visitors, people that have maybe never been to Love City. And so what I should have done is figured out a way to talk about faithfulness that was very palatable, that was very kind of sweet. And, and there wasn't a whole lot of you know, challenge or anything that might make somebody uncomfortable or anything like that. I definitely should have stayed out of what I'm getting into right now uh, because... <laughs> That is, you know, maybe not going to lead to them wanting to come back and then uh, maybe wanting to come back in and then hopefully given an offering at some point. I, I, I hate to pull the curtain back and let you know that in the last days some fall away to deceitful doctrines of demons and that the church sometimes loses their first love. I'm just telling you right now it happens. Faithfulness sometimes is not on the top of the list of questions we're asking when we think about how to do things. If I've only got you here one time, my concern is not that I can schmooze you into coming back, so hopefully you come back and give an offering at some point. If I've got you in front of me one time, I'm going to challenge you as hard as I possibly can to love Jesus with all of your heart and to respond to his gospel and to live in light of all that he has done and said. If I've got one shot at you, I'm going harder than I would otherwise. Honestly, you judge which one's right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am nuts. I fully understand that's possible. <laughs> Maybe even probable. I'm, I'm going to give you an example here. I'm, I'm trying to help us be wise and discerning in, in answering questions of faithfulness in terms of the church collectively. Common church planting and church growth wisdom of the day says that um, it's, it's very important that you're mindful of the space, okay? And so if, if we were to hire one of these consultants, what they would do is come in here and they would tell us that we should do one of two things. We should find a smaller space in this building to meet in, or we should take and underneath these balconies right here, probably build some walls so that that siphons everybody into just this center space. And here's why they would say that. They would say there's dynamics that come with a, a room and how it feels to people. And since you could fit 80 or 90, probably eh, it might get a little little crowd at that point. You could probably fit 70 more people in here today, I'd say, w without breaking fire codes and people starting to get a little uncomfortable. Because you could fit 70 more people in here today, what they would say is, don't meet in that space. That's too big. It feels too empty. It's not exciting enough. So either block off the space somehow so that it's crammed in and people feel more excited. It feels like something's going on. That's, that's what they would say we should do. Or find a smaller room in here and set that up and meet in there. So, so we're really mindful of the dynamics of the the way the thing feels, okay? And, and here's, here's what we got to ask ourselves. Is that what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus as the church? To do things based on how it's going to make everyone feel? I, I have another idea. <laughs> Here, here's another idea. How about we not block off the extra seats, and let's pray that every single person that's a part of Love City has their heart broken over every empty seat that could be filled with one more person knowing Jesus instead of being dead and lost in their sin. There's an idea. How about we pray that people are bothered by the fact that there's empty seats in here instead of blocking them off to make sure they feel nice. So I don't know. Again, maybe I'm off my rocker. Faithfulness as the church, friends, is paramount. And it protects the integrity of the gospel. And the problem is, many times unfaithfulness, dressed and wrapped the right way, can be justified 
a thousand different ways, and everyone just kind of nods and goes along, right? What I just described to you, that doesn't, maybe you're sitting here still wondering what my problem is. Well, what's wrong? Yeah, block it off. That makes people feel better. Great. I, I can't do it. <laughs> We're not going to do it. I want you to see the empty chairs, and I want you to pray for every single one. And I want you to feel a personal responsibility to pray souls into God's kingdom, to go out and to preach his gospel and fill them up. We should be praying that we're filling this to overflowing and need something bigger with people that are really meeting Jesus and really being discipled. I, I don't actually care that much if you feel awkward. Maybe that's what you need. I told you I was gonna I told you I was gonna break all the baby dedication day rules. <laughs> this is way too harsh for that. First Timothy six says this Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. He says, Guard, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter. Foolishness that ends up getting called knowledge, things that we justify for a myriad of reasons. There is faithfulness, there's a there's it's contending for those things that we've been entrusted with, the purity of the gospel, the call to be disciple makers, to walk in the way of love and to follow after Jesus. If we start asking the same questions that businesses do. How do we improve our product or our service to get more customers? I'm going to say this plainly. We have forsaken the ancient gospel. That is not the question the church should be asking. How do we improve our product or services to get more customers? Why? Why am I saying that? Why am I saying if that's the way you think you have forsaken the ancient gospel, why am I putting myself in opposition to what is mainstream thought on the subject? Why am I taking that risk? Why am I willing to be John the Baptist out here in camel hair, eating locusts? We sang about it earlier. I'm so thankful to God for a spirit-led worship team. We do not coordinate our songs here. We're not that organized. But we sang earlier a song about picking up our cross and following him. And that's why. That's why we can't as the church asks the same questions that businesses do. We can't say, how do we improve this product or service that we're peddling to try to get more customers? Because that's not what we're doing. We're not peddling to customers. We're calling people to die. We're calling people to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. We're calling people to walk in the way of love, which is going to demand that they lay themselves down every single day for the sake of others. We can't pander to consumerism and simultaneously make disciples. It won't work. And I know you can pander to consumerism and get a bunch of people into a room, but man, when you bite into that fruit, it's got gravel in it. You cannot make disciples in the fashion of Jesus by just pandering to them and, and stroking them and continuing to make sure they feel comfortable and they have a good time and they're entertained. That's how you get goats, man, not sheep. If you don't know what I mean by that, go read the rest of Matthew 25 later. You'll see what I'm talking about. I don't have time to get into it, man. If I crack into another set of verses, y'all are in trouble. 
The gospel is a call for broken sinners to surrender to a good and loving Savior. It's a call to walk in the way of love, which is epitomized by the cross of Christ alone. You see, that part is missing from our gospel presentations so often. So often it's, Jesus loves you. Pray this prayer. Listen, we have to tell people, you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and the way you come to this Savior is not with a list of demands. You bow your knee, and you surrender to him, and you receive the gift of grace, because what you deserve from him is justice and wrath. You deserve to be smote by him, but what he is offering you is grace and mercy and relationship instead, and the way you receive that gift is like this, in this posture. Not coming, chest held out, as if you're bringing something to the table we got to tell the truth about it. And patting everybody on their head all the time is not the way to do it. We have to preach the full gospel, friends. We have to live the full gospel. We have to let people know there is bad news that is, is the only reason the good news exists. Every single person on the planet has fallen short of God's perfection. Hopefully, thinking in terms of stewardship in our lives earlier helped you to understand that maybe you came in here today and you were so delusional you thought you were perfect or close to it. Hopefully today, by the, maybe you believe that preachers should only ever make you feel good. Well, let me just tell you today, if you're feeling worse about yourself after hearing the word of God preached today, it's doing exactly what it was meant to do. Not to condemnation, but to bring you to a place of humility where you will approach Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he offers freely. We need the gospel. We have to be continually gospelized because there is a counter-narrative and a counter-message being barraged at us all the time. Friends, do you understand that you live in a time and place that is a predicated upon you consuming something? If all of you stop consuming tomorrow, our economy and our world grinds to a halt And that means you are constantly marketed to all the time, everywhere. That is how the world works now. They got to get you to look at their thing instead of somebody else's thing. And that's what keeps the wheels turning. And the church has swallowed that pill in many ways. And we need to cough it out and get rid of it. Because we cannot pander to consumerism and think that we are actually going to be preaching the ancient gospel. That we're actually going to be preaching that every single one of us are broken because of sin, that we are hopelessly separated from a perfect and holy God because of our sin. And the only way we're going to come to him is by bowing our knee and surrender to him and receiving the grace and mercy he offers through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ came and lived the perfect life we couldn't and died the death we should have in our place for our sins. This is the message of hope. And, and what really, the real issue... we. <laughs> You can't, through consumerism, bring someone to that message, but then you cannot really help someone to walk after Jesus by continuing to feed into our predisposed tendency to consume. Because the call of Christ daily is to lay yourself down, is to consider yourself less important than others. That's what Philippians 2 is talking about. It says, have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who considered equality with God, not something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, a bondservant, and went to death, and even death on a cross, so that you and that I could know life. And that's who we're following. How... Does the shiny, glitzy American consumerism model play into that paradigm? 
It doesn't. It has to be rejected. Listen, I'm not saying stop buying stuff tomorrow, you know, no more Tide, and, and, and now everyone stinks, and, and we're not paying utilities. I'm not saying we can do anything about what everyone out in this other kingdom is doing. But we're supposed to be ambassadors to that kingdom, not just join them. We're supposed to bring a light that, that stands in stark contrast to the darkness into that kingdom. Ambassadors go into it, but man, we don't forget what home looks like. And we're supposed to be telling everybody in that kingdom about this good kingdom and this good king who rules it, and his name is Jesus, and that you're invited to come and be a part of his eternal kingdom, and to be freed from the slavery of consumerism. And God help us for every shred of that that we've allowed into our churches. May he forgive us. May he help us. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It can't be tolerated, friends. May we be a people who are faithful, not only in thought and word, but also in deed. May we be a church who is faithful until the end, trusting that God is the one in charge of fruitfulness. For his glory and our good, amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for these verses. Thank you for Galatians 5. Thank you for these fruit of the Spirit. We've had the opportunity to camp here for several weeks now and continue to soak in the truth and the depth and the beauty of your word. Thank you, Lord, for this call to faithfulness. Lord, we acknowledge full well that we will not be faithful without your help, much less fruitful. Lord, help us to care about faithfulness. Help us to seek to be faithful by your definition. Lord Jesus, you told a parable. And at the end of that parable, you said to two men, well done, good and faithful servant. God, we want to be among them. We want to do what those servants did. We want to use every shred of the time and talent and resources you've given us to multiply that, to make much of you, to see your kingdom furthered, to see your name made much of. God, please forgive us for slothfulness. Forgive us, God, for every place where we have been lazy, where we've been that wicked servant, where we've buried the things you've given us, where we've made excuses and justified ourselves with our busyness and our foolishness and our this and that. God, please forgive us. Please, today, maybe today, God, bring us, grab our faces and make us acknowledge that we are called to be stewards of every single thing we have, including the breath in our lungs, that nothing we have is something you didn't entrust to us. God, help us to live as if this is true. God, help us. Help us to remember that statement. Help us, God, to, in our mind's eye, when we, when we think about and we daydream about the most beautiful, wonderful things we can imagine, may, may our minds go to your throne room. May we imagine the day when we stand before you, unveiled face, where we see the fullness of your glory, God, and we hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we want to be faithful. Please help us be faithful. We can't do it without you. We lay ourselves at your feet and say, do with us as you will. Lord, forgive us for every minute we have tried to rule ourselves. We are not good kings. You're the only one worthy of full faithfulness and allegiance from us. Lord, we give it to you. Please keep us in it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church. 
located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.